Hi, I'm Amanda Dolan, and I am the creator of The Mental Society. And this first episode is me telling you a little bit about my story and why mental health is important to me. Uh, so let me just start at the beginning. Growing up, um, I had, you know, a pretty average, normal life. Two parents at home, uh, went to a great private school, younger sister. Um, my mom had a great corporate job. My dad was a college professor, an attorney, a minister, like all the things, all the education. Um, and then as I got older, I realized that my mom just wasn't happy. And again, as I grew older and older, I realized now she had major depression. And while she tried to treat it, it wasn't very effective. I remember her going to the doctor. I remember her in therapy. I remember her going away to um, get treatment and yet really nothing worked. Um, and then fast forward to me being 12 years old. Um, my grandfather died and literally a week later, my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, that shifted a lot of the dynamic in my household. Um, as a 12 year old with a nine year old sister and a dad who was really sick, and my mom was working 40, 50, 60 hours a week sometimes, felt really alone. Um, and felt kind of like I was just doing life by myself the best I could. Sure, I had friends and teachers and my parents did everything they could um, with the tools they had. You gotta remember my dad was in and out of the hospital. My mom is dealing with depression and a, you know, two kids, essentially on her own while working full time. And she didn't have any family where we lived. So people would come and help. Um, but, you know, it wasn't really a fun, great, exciting household during those middle school years, which let's face it, middle school is rough for anyone, whether or not you're dealing with mental health um, or you know, your dad dying. Um, and I also, you know, was like not necessarily the most popular kid and didn't always love going to school. I was smart, but I was never the smartest. Um, it was always, oh, like, you know, she tries. She could work harder. She would just apply herself. Uh, she would get better grades. Uh, she gets distracted easily. And all of that will show up later. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, now, by the time I was 15, I knew something wasn't right with me. I was, I was just irritable and sad, and I cried a lot, and I didn't want to do anything. Like I just wasn't happy, and nothing at all brought me any joy, really. And I had been in and out of therapy already you know, to you know, deal with the drama and the stress of, you know, being a teenager with a father that was ill and a mother that was um, mentally ill, which let's face it, they're really the same thing, which is part of why I'm here is because mental health is health. And my mom's depression impacted the way she showed up in the world, um, just like my dad's cancer affected the way he showed up in the world. Um, so I don't want to diminish my mom's um, depression as something that's less than the cancer. It's just, it was different but it impacted us just as, you know, a cancer did or heart disease or diabetes. It impacted 
the way that we lived. Sometimes I felt like I was walking on eggshells. So I'd been in therapy to deal with those things, and yet I still didn't feel right. Um, So at 15, my parents had me go to a psychiatrist, which I was so, you know, who's like, I'm excited to go to a psychiatrist. But 15-year-old Amanda was so excited because I was like, maybe I'm going to get some answers and feel better. And that's just what I wanted. I didn't want to go to a psychiatrist so I could have some badge of like, oh, look how messed up I am. No, I just wanted to feel good. And I didn't feel good. And I go in and I fill out some forms and fill out these questionnaires that, you know, basically they're how depressed are you? How anxious are you? And, and a few other things like that. And I go back and see this psychiatrist and he looks at me and he says, you know, we, well, we talked for a little while and he says, you know, you have something that it's called dysthymia, which you can Google it, but I'll just tell you dysthymia is essentially low grade depression. It's like not quite major depression, but it's just, it's right there under the surface of like normal is, you know, like at zero and major depression is like negative four. Dysthymia is like negative one, negative one and a half. Like it's just, it's like a little grumpy, a little depressed. Um, there is a way to treat it. Uh, but I was told at the time, you just are going to have to learn with it. This is like learn to, to live with it. This is just your life. And well, let me tell you, when you're 15 and all you want is help and to feel better, and you're told, ah, just deal with it. Man, that sucks. I felt even more alone. And I felt, I still get emotional about this. I felt unhelpable. I felt, um, I felt like I was stuck, that this was just who I was going to be forever. And I was never going to feel joy or happiness or um, want to really live life. Um, and a few months after that visit, I attempted to kill myself. I was not successful. Obviously I'm, I'm here. Um, and I think the reality of that, when I look back on it and, you know, how I went about doing that, um, it really truly was a cry for help, not, not a real desire to kill myself. I just felt so alone. Um, And like I said, like I couldn't be helped. And so this was a way to say, no, it really is that bad. Well, the reality was, was that I didn't get the help then. Um, Things were, you know, my dad was still sick. Um, And it's interesting because, you know, when I was 12 and he was diagnosed in November of um, 1991, uh, he was told, hey, like, you'll be lucky if you get six months. And, you know, here we are now. um, I guess that was 1995 that I had that suicide attempt. So we're several years into into his illness and and he really wasn't ever well. was always chemo. There were other treatments. And while 
I don't blame my parents for this. The reality is, is they were really focused on my dad. And that makes sense because he was the one physically ill. You could see his illness. There were tests that they could run that showed the cancer in his blood. There were scans that they could do and they could see the tumors. But with my mental health, they just had my word for it. There was no blood test. There was no brain scan. There was no, like, there was nothing that could prove or disprove that something was going on with my my brain, with my mental health. And um, I think that's a really important thing to note just in the general treatment of mental health is mental illnesses aren't so black and white, like cancer or diabetes. Like there is no test. When you're diabetic, your blood sugar is wonky and you can test that. When you have cancer, you can have an MRI or a CT scan and you can see the tumors and they can do biopsies and they can run blood tests and you know. Depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, the diagnosis is all about how a, you know a patient reports how they're showing up. Sometimes observations by a doctor, inpatient, you know, people can observe that. But again, it's all really guesswork. And um, that's one of the things that can be really frustrating when you're trying to get answers. Um, so a couple of weeks before I turned 18, my dad was still sick. I had graduated high school and I moved to Texas. I I loved the school that I went to, um, the college I went to, but a big part of why I went there was I wanted to get away. Um, I wanted to get out of um, that place that didn't feel good. Uh, and and it wasn't my the home, it was just all the things. You know, my mom wasn't feeling great and she was so focused on my dad and my dad was sick and you know, my, I was a teenager and I didn't get along great with my mom because I was a teenager and my mom and I just never got along and I left and, um, things got better for a little while. I was in this new environment and these new people, they didn't know all of my history. And so it was a fresh start. And, um, and then my my dad died um, the middle of my my junior, I mean, I'm sorry, my sophomore year, um, February of 99. And um it sucked. Like I mean, there like there's no way around it. No one, no one who's 19 expects to lose their father. And even though I was expecting it, it, it wasn't easy. Um and at first it was just grief, normal grief. Um, and grief is, you know, that's a whole other topic around mental health um, and grief is normal. But when I was, you know, it had been about six months since he had died. And um, I went to another psychiatrist because again, I just knew, I knew, knew, knew that something was wrong. And this psychiatrist gave me a diagnosis of um, major depression with anxiety. And that felt right to me. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. And um, 
started taking medication, felt better for, you know, a couple months and then it just stopped working. And I went back and we, you know, switched the medication and again, worked for a very short period of time and then it stopped working. And so I just threw my hands up and was like, you know what, I'm in college. I'm, you know, I don't have the time for this. I, I'm frustrated. I have to focus on my studies. Um, but at this point in time, I had switched my major to psychology because I was curious as to like, I wanted to know what was wrong with me. Um, so I went from chemistry to psychiatry or to psychology, quite different, um, you know, majors, but I wanted to learn. I wanted to like, okay, maybe I can understand what's going on with me. And so everything I looked at, it was like, yeah, I have depression and anxiety. That is what it is. And I knew I was right because I could read it in this book over here. And I was super self-aware and smart. And I knew. So when the doctor told me this, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Well, you know what? It, it wasn't working. The medications that were supposed to fix it, supposed to treat it, weren't working. And since I had given up, I kept on living my life the best way I could. Um, and I graduated and I moved about an hour away for graduate school, got my master's in psychology. And again, you know, wanted to be a therapist. I wanted to help people that were, you know, like me, like I, uh, I ended up going into grief and hospice work because that was what was really important to me later, you know, after I graduated, but while I was in grad school, again, looking at all these, you know, books for my courses and reading the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, helps you diagnose mental illness. Um, I'm sitting there reading all this and I'm like, yes, I'm going to go back to the, you know, a new psychiatrist and I'm going to get a new diagnosis. And it's going to be like, there's got to be some new medicines. I'm, I'm all in for this. And went back to a different psychiatrist. So we are now on psychiatrist number three. And again, same depression, some anxiety, shoved some pills at me. Um, and again, worked for a little while, stopped working. Um, and I just did this saying, I just, I can't be helped. Got married, finished grad school with this not ever really being happy, but it was good enough. Um, and good enough really isn't good enough when it comes to your mental health. Um, good enough might be okay. Like if you're making a cake for someone's birthday and it looks good enough, okay, well, it's going to be eaten in a half an hour and fine. Your mental health is there with you forever and impacts every single thing you do. So good enough wasn't good. It wasn't what I needed. Um, and I, I ended up back at a, another psychiatrist. Um, and again, same diagnosis, different meds, same result worked for a short period of time until it didn't tried another medication worked until it didn't. I threw in the towel again. Um, and then 
let's fast forward a few more years. Um, and uh, so, you know, I've seen four psychiatrists at this point, and I'm now 28 years old and pregnant with my daughter. Um, and when she arrives, she's, you know, I know every parent says this, but she was perfect. She had these perfect little toes and all this hair and she was just tiny. And, um, oh, I was so excited to be a mom because I, I had babysat for decades. It felt like, I mean, I knew how to take care of a baby. Um, I had nannied for a newborn for, you know, months. So I like, I knew, um, and yet within a week or two, I did not know I was tired. Um, I had a really difficult, uh, birth with her. Um, I had a C-section and there were some complications and, um, it was a whole thing. And so I didn't feel well, I was in pain. I have this child who, while she is perfect, she is an infant or toddler. No, she's, she's a newborn. Sorry, wrong age. She's a newborn. She can't speak. She can't tell me what's going on. And so um, I remember one day she was crying and um, crying and crying and crying. And I had fed her and changed her and burped her and rocked her and nothing, nothing was happening she would not stop crying. And I got so frustrated and I picked up this giant handful of cotton balls and I threw them at her as hard as I could. Now, here's the thing. A handful of cotton balls, not gonna hurt my child. And yet very shortly after that, I thought I'm gonna hurt my child, like for real, for real. Like I am going to shake her, I'm gonna smother her. I don't know. I just needed her to stop. And um, I called my my husband at the time and said, I need help. And um, he came home and I went to the doctor. The doctor's like, here, here's antidepressants. You have postpartum depression. You're going to be fine. It'll go away in a, you know, a couple months. Well, you know what? It It didn't really, but I got pregnant with my son before I hit that one year mark where, you know, postpartum depression is supposed to go away and um, stop medication because I was pregnant. Um, and when he was born again, that postpartum depression hit hard. And um, my OB gave me, um, you know, antidepressants again, things were fine for a while. I hit that one year mark. Um, and my site or my obstetrician was like, I'm not prescribing this for you anymore. You've got to go see a psychiatrist if you're still feeling this in a year. And all I was just like, Oh, you don't want to, like, I don't like, I don't want to see another psychiatrist. No one has been able to fix me. So I just stopped medicine because it wasn't really working. Well, just a few months after that, um, my daughter, who um, it's funny when I say this, if you know my child, you would know that this is the most ridiculous thing. 
she got kicked out of preschool for biting. Like my child was the behavior problem kid at two, um, which really like, it's quite funny um, now, but it also makes a lot of sense because she has a lot of big feelings. She has a lot of things she wants to say. And when she was two, she could not say them. So she bit to make sure that you knew she was serious, but she gets kicked out. Um, and that was like my respite. Those few hours a day was like when I got to breathe. Um, Cause remember at this time I have a one-year-old and a two and a half year old. Like that was a lot. Um, and I remember about 4.30 one day sitting on my, my son's floor playing with my kids and just having an absolute breakdown. And I called a psychiatrist that I hadn't seen yet. And that's another thing is that we'll, we'll get into eventually later on down the line is the number of psychiatrists is shockingly low, um, especially here in the area that I live in. Um, so I see this new psychiatrist and I've ca I called their office at 4.30 and you know, they get me in that day. The, um, the office manager stays late. The doctor stays late. The office manager takes my kids and watches them so I can be with the doctor. Um, and I felt really heard by this doctor, um, like really, really heard. And, but again, same diagnosis, slightly different medications. Cause I've talked about how all of these things hadn't worked before. Um, and back to this, it worked for a while and then it didn't. And I went back to throwing my hands up and that's it. I'm just going to learn to deal with this. Um, so at this point I am, um, 30 and, uh, you know, 15 years into this journey to try to figure out what's wrong with me. 15 years. Um, now it's getting worse. I'm having a hard time getting out of bed. I'm having a hard time doing the things like laundry, dishes, cleaning. I was a stay-at-home mom and that was my job. And um, you can imagine how it felt to feel like I was failing my family and my kids by not keeping this beautifully clean house for them, cooking dinners, playing with my kids, all of those things. Uh, but man, I sure did put on a brave, happy face. And I did the things at the kids' schools. I volunteered. I was on the PTA. I did all the things. Um, and then um, March 3rd, 2016 happened. March 3rd, 2016 was the day that I decided I was going to die. And it was the day I decided that I wanted to live. Um, I was laying in bed planning my suicide. And this was not a, oh, I think I want to kill myself. This was like a minute by minute line item. These are all the things that I need to do. And in this process too, I was making sure that the people I loved were taken care of, that they weren't going to have to clean up my mess. Um, because even in that dark place, I didn't want to hurt anyone anymore because I believed 
at my core. That oh. the world, that my children, that my friends, everyone was going to be better off without me. That I served no purpose here. And I knew, I just knew that I needed to die and that I could control that. I could kill myself. And as I'm laying there planning this, I'm hearing my children laugh in the other room. And it was awesome to hear them getting ready for school and laughing. And I was like, see, like, I'm not out there and they're laughing and they're having fun. They don't need me. And then I heard a voice and it said, I'm not done with you yet. Now, for me as a Christian and that being, you know, how I grew up, that was the Holy Spirit. If that's not the background you come from, that is obviously absolutely fine. Whatever that voice was, whether it was the universe, God, the Holy Spirit, or simply my brain telling myself, it doesn't matter because what that did was knocked me out of that. I want to die to a, okay, maybe the world still does need me. Um, and I reached out to the people that I knew, um, to friend Betsy in particular, who was, um, is still a therapist. She's awesome. She gave me some referrals. Um, I also knew that my mom had had a suicide attempt about the same age that I was, um, I was 36 at the time. So let's, let's remember that this is now 21 years, 21 years of trying to get answers. Um, and I call, um, I don't, I no longer have, um, an OBGYN because I'm done having kids and my regular doctor is doing all the things that I need. Um, but I, uh, um, I knew that since my mom was about this age, I just wondered if there was some sort of hormonal something happening that needed to be checked. Well, I reached out to some other friends to find a, um, an OB GYM to see needed a gynecologist. Um, and mine from my, my pregnancies had moved away. Um, and so I called the therapist. She did not answer. She called me back and uh, we signed a no harm contract. I had an appointment for Monday. Then I called the um, gynecologist office and uh, it was a, oh, I'm sorry. We don't have any available appointments until like, the end of April. This is May 3rd. I'm like, that's oh, not going to work. I hear the other line ring. She goes, hold on a second. She puts me on hold and she comes back and she was like, well, somebody just canceled for Monday. By the way, March 3rd was a Thursday. Somebody just canceled for Monday um, at two o'clock. Can you come in? Yep, I will be there. No questions asked. Like, I will make it work. Um, then I called a psychiatrist who was a psychiatrist that I had not seen before, a psychiatrist that doesn't accept insurance, which is um, 
again, we'll get into access to care in a future episode. Um, but I called and the office manager um, answers and says, you know, we don't have any new patient appointments for, I mean, it was months. Okay, we'll talk about access to care. Uh, and she goes, oh, wait, you know what? I think someone canceled an appointment for nine o'clock Monday morning. Can you be there? Yes, yes, I can. So again, for me, this is just a sign that God's hand was in this. And uh, went to see the psychiatrist. Um, I mean, I went to the gynecologist and therapist, all great things, nothing going on hormonally. Awesome. But the psychiatrist, I told him what I had. And he told me that that is not what mental illness I had. Um, but you know what? I knew because I have a master's in psychology and I, you know, I had lived in this brain or with this brain for decades. Uh, and I knew it was depression and anxiety. I, I'm sorry, that's what it was. And this psychiatrist spent well over an hour with me and he pulled out that DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, and he went line by line and he gave me the diagnosis of bipolar two. I did not like that diagnosis. Um, even as someone who knew about uh, mental health and mental illness, there was a stigma for me of bipolar. Someone with bipolar was a hot mess. Someone with bipolar though was also the person that, you know, went on the $10,000 shopping spree or flew to Vegas and blew all of their savings playing blackjack or the person that stayed up all night long and painted their whole house. That wasn't me. I wasn't that person. Well, little did I know that there was something called anxious distress, which is how my mania shows up. It's basically like a, you know, lower version of um, a panic attack, but it lasted for days or weeks for me. Um, and that's why, well, there was anxiety. And then, you know, my depressive episodes were depression. So no wonder I had been getting these diagnoses of depression and anxiety, but no one had realized that they could squish the two of them together and that it was this diagnosis. Um, so I got on medication and man, it was, it truly was days and I started to feel better. And then within weeks, I was like, is this what it's like to not be sad all the time and not be on this, in this like sense high, like heightened alert, you know, always, you know, checking things out and making sure that no one's going to attack me or that, you know, everyone's safe. Um, because that's what it felt like was I had to make sure that everyone around me was staying safe with this anxiety. It was like, didn't know what was going to happen next. Um, and it was like, man, maybe this is actually like the answer because I have never felt this good. Um, and there were some medication switches. There was a therapist switch along the way because, the thing was, was like, I needed a really gentle therapist to begin with because I was really broken. 
And then I started to heal and um, I needed someone that was going to push me more um, and help me really dig into to some of the other stuff um, under the surface, like with my dad's death and my mom's and my relationship. And um, at the time, my, my marriage was falling apart a bit, um, more than a bit. It, it ended during this period. Um, and it is, you know, I think back to that March 3rd, we'll say March 2nd version, March 2nd, 2016 version of me. Um, and she was gone. I can hardly, I can't, I mean, there's still remnants of her, although most of them um, have now been removed from my house uh, because I had this room that was awful, <laughs> so dirty because I didn't have the energy to clean it. And then it got to this point where I was so overwhelmed that it didn't get done. And it just recently redid that room and it's my sanctuary and it's beautiful. And I will be sharing more about that um, on the website so you all can see what mental health looks like in real life, not just, um, you know, that depression, crying, not being able to get out of bed look, but like how it makes your space look and how you feel in that space. Um, and feel so much, I was feeling so much better. I, you know, started a new career because uh, I'd been staying home and divorce meant I needed a job. Um, and then with this new career came this need to focus and to be present online and in Zoom meetings and all of those things. And after some talking to some people, somebody was like, I think you might have ADHD. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I've never been hyperactive. I'm just a little like forgetful and I get excited about starting things and I don't finish. And sometimes I have a hard time focusing, but I'm not that like hyperactive running around kid. Um, plus I am a 42 year old woman. What the heck? Like I should have been diagnosed with this, you know, 35 years ago. Uh, but I mentioned it to my psychiatrist and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, he prescribed me medication and, uh, man, if you ask my friends or family day one of that medication, I changed. Um, and I am grateful for that. I am grateful to that friend who said, check this out. I'm grateful for my psychiatrist for trusting me and listening to me um, and, and providing medication that shifted things. Um, and so because of my wild journey through mental health, um, I, I want to talk about it more. I don't want to hide it. Um, mental health is so much more than mental illness. Mental health is making sure you're not burnt out, making sure that you are taking care of yourself. Mental health is making sure you're drinking water and not just coffee. Like I am guilty of. Um, and part of why I'm guilty of that is quite frankly, coffee helps my ADHD and makes my Adderall more effective. Um, 
So that is a behavioral thing that I have added into my life because it works. Um, and, and so um, I created this, you know, I had this plan and I didn't do anything with it because I was, what if no one listens? What if it doesn't have the impact that I want it to? And I let those stories get in my way. So, um, after six, seven months of me saying that I was going to do this, uh, here I am doing this, uh, because mental health is a health crisis and I don't, and not just in the United States, it is in the world. Uh, there's a stigma, so we don't talk about it. Uh, there is this idea, I think often with men that if they go to therapy, if they take care of themselves, they're less than that they're weak. Um, and for women, I think often we do this, we've got to take care of everyone else. And like, well, I'm just tired because I'm working a full-time job and I'm on PTA and I have kids and I'm, and I'm, and I'm no, but also like, why, why are you doing all of that? How is that impacting you long-term? How is that impacting you in your everyday life? What are you doing to take care of yourself? Are you getting the sleep you need? And all of those questions are things that we need to consider. Um, because our world doesn't run well when we as human beings aren't running well. And we as human beings don't run well when our brains aren't running well. And our brains need more than the occasional like, oh, I did self-care. I took a bath, but I didn't lock the door and I'm a mom. And so that meant that my four-year-old came in to ask for something and you know, this person came in and I got this phone call and this text, that's not self-care. Or that mom that's like, oh, I got to go to the grocery store by myself today. Look how great that was. You got to go to the grocery store anyway. Going by yourself, unless it's like what I did the other day, which is I went to Target and I literally wandered around for two hours by myself. That was self-care. That helped my mental health. And I left Target spending $84 after being in there for two hours that's a win. Um, but my point is to all of this is we're not talking about this enough. We're not talking about mental health. We're not talking about how mental health impacts our criminal justice system, the homeless population, our students at schools, um, our teachers, our police officers, how um, funding is provided how mental health impacts our physical health, how it affects our blood pressure and our cardiovascular health and our inflammation and our sleep and our fatigue and all, I mean, there's so much that it all encompasses and it shows up differently for so many different people in so many different places. And the mental society, not just the podcast, but the website and this movement that I really hope to create is a place where I want to talk about mental health. I want to remove that stigma. And I want us as a society to work together to make these changes. I want all of us to share our stories because if all of us share, that voice gets so loud that the people that make the decisions about where funding is and how treatment is provided, they have to listen. And if enough of us are talking, 
we're not going to feel so alone. We're going to feel like I can be helped. I, there's something there that I can do. Um, there are people I can reach out to There are resources. Um, so, you know, let's see what happens here and what kind of education, um, we can share, uh, whose stories we can hear. So I would love for you to subscribe so you can hear all that, um, is going to happen in this space. Um, and also check out the website. Um, so our website is thementalsociety.com. Um, we, this podcast is available on all the platforms. So um, whichever one is your favorite, find us there. It's The Mental Society. Super easy to remember. Um, so stay tuned and see what we, because all of y'all listening are part of this society that we live in. So let's see what we here at the Mental Society um, can make happen by amplifying the voices of people um, and their stories around mental health. And um, let's just hang out here where mental health and society meet and uh, hear so many incredible stories. Thanks for sticking with me. And I look forward to hearing um, your feedback and uh, seeing you or, you know, having you listen uh, as, as this continues to grow and develop and we'll see, you know, what happens. I have no idea. Um, so thanks for listening to my story. And uh, I have no idea how to wrap this up. So uh, yeah, come back and listen uh, to the Mental Society where mental health and society meet.